Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. Today we're talking to Brian Lynch. Brian is a 17-year veteran of the fire service with Colorado Springs Fire Department and also the co-founder of Irons and Ladders, which is a hands-on training group that you guys have traveled across the U.S. uh, just conducting trainings for firefighters and refining the fire service's truck skills. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Brian, I'm sitting next to Craig here, and before Craig worked for me, he spent some time in the Springs, and, uh, you know, I've always said that out of everybody that's ever worked for me, Craig has taught me the most. Like, I've learned more about, you know, just fire service skills in general, different ways to do things, teaching methods, um, humility, all that stuff. I've learned more from him than anybody else that has ever worked for me. And if I ask him who he's learned the most from, he points to his time with you when he was in the Springs. So how do you do such a good job of being a senior man and teaching the next generation of firefighters? I don't think it's something that you actively seek to try and be is that that person, the senior man or the senior firefighter in the firehouse that people go to. I think it's it's not something that you seek out. It's something that kind of happens maybe naturally for a lot of people who are passionate about the job. Um, the same people that I try to emulate and, and follow in their footsteps are have the same feeling and the same attitudes towards passing the torch, so to speak, on to the next generation of firefighters. That's one thing that I think has been Im- impressed upon me since I was a brand new firefighter. I actually started my fire service career in, in uh, as a volunteer firefighter in 1998 and really where I kind of learned about being a professional firefighter, whether you're paid or whether you're volunteered, but just understanding the professionalism aspect to it and taking pride in your craft, making sure that your tools are checked out every day and making sure that your SCBA's got air in your bottle down to, to every little aspect of every call that we could run, whether it's a fire, whether it's a medical, you know, making sure that there's, there's enough hazmat pads on the rig that day just taking care of the equipment first. And that's really kind of where I learned that was as a volunteer firefighter. So when I, I came into a paid position, uh, I looked for those guys who did those things that were taught to me. That's how I was introduced. I had a great first mentor who um, is, is now retired from the fire service and as was really set me up honestly for success with, with an attitude of making sure that, you know, we take care of the equipment that's going to take care of the people that we respond on and take care of. And so that translated for me when I went to my first firehouse and I had a you know mentor, just like my first mentor, start to kind of break it down for me that, hey, these are the things that we do here, are the priorities. Uh, this is what we, we focus on. It's not coffee and cleaning the firehouse. It's making sure that the rig is checked out and our equipment's checked out and that we're, you know, sort of mentally ready to bond. And so that's really kind of the, the how it started for me. Uh, was just trying to emulate people. And I think what happened was I naturally, as a young firefighter, as a young man in this business, gravitated towards those people because they're the ones who made me feel good about doing the job and made me feel competent and gave me confidence in doing my job. When you seek those people out, then as you get into the fire service and you become a little longer in the tooth and a little grayer on the head, you tend to find people who want to do that to be around you are the same people that you were maybe 10, 15, you know, 20 years ago. You need purpose to get through this job. Like, what would you say that your purpose is? 
I think that it's um, there's kind of multiple purposes, right? The first thing I think of is as I'm more from a, a senior fire to to a lieutenant, like I have some different purposes uh, that I probably didn't have before. But as a firefighter, my purpose was to show up every single day and make sure that my my rig was good, to make sure that I could take care of whatever 911 call came in. You know, if we're being honest with each other, most of the 911 calls that we go on, the calls for service are maybe medically related or um, sometimes we show up and it's not necessarily something that we would have dialed 911 for. But uh, in reality, those people are calling because they need help. And that's really what we are as firefighters, as problem solvers, whether it's um, we're putting out a, a three alarm fire or we're changing a smoke detector batteries to keep it from beeping. The 90-year-old lady who's lived in the same house for 50 years can sleep at night and is afraid that the smoke alarm is going off, is afraid there's a fire in her house because it's beeping every 30 seconds. We're solving problems. And so mentally coming to work every day and making sure that I'm ready for whatever problem. And I think it starts with you lay out expectations and you have expectations for yourself. So I could probably get on the rig every day and go to automatic alarms and just my station boots and my T-shirt. Uh, in my station pants and probably be okay 99 times out of 100 because 99 times out of 100, the automatic fire alarm is probably just an automatic alarm going off because someone burnt popcorn or they walked out of the wrong door and set the alarm off. But we always prepare for the worst case scenario. And we have to have that mentality that it's the one time. It's one time out of 100 where the fire alarm's going off because there's a fire in the building. When we go to a, a person with chest pain or we go to a, a medical call that we, uh, this is probably not necessarily, you know, a, a critical patient. Well, we treat them as if they're critical first and then we work our way back. You know, I hear, I see guys going, oh man, a hazmat run. And I understand it. It may not be my cup of tea, hazmat stuff or your cup of tea. At the same time, what it comes in is there's a natural gas leak inside of a, a building or a carbon monoxide alarm going off in someone's house. There's a problem that they can't handle, that they need us, and they called us. So from my perspective, you know, mentally preparing myself, physically preparing myself, and making sure that, that all of my equipment and everything is dialed in the morning to be able to handle whatever uh, situation occurs, no matter what it is. You've been on some of the busiest engine companies in the country for a while. And a lot of that was riding backwards. I think it's easy for any of us to get complacent, but like now that you're an officer, you can't really have that. So how do you keep your back seaters engaged? You know, we have a routine that we do at my firehouse every morning and work at a double company firehouse. The other Lieutenant I work with, he and I, we promoted right around the same time. Actually came on the job, went to the fire Academy together. And so this is something that we sat down when I first promoted and went to fire station one we sat down and he and I had a conversation about what we want, what our expectations are as company officers and how they're different from riding backwards or uh, being in a different position, a non-officer you know, officer position. And we laid out expectations. These are my expectations every day. And one of those expectations is that we don't waver on, again, like I said, checking out the rig every single day, making sure we have everything that we could need, whatever emergency arises. And then we have a thing we do where we, we fight a fire every single day. We used to have this in our, in our job. When I came on the job, nine o'clock in the morning meant everybody got up from the kitchen table and from coffee or breakfast and they cleaned the station. And well, what we do at nine o'clock in my firehouse is at 9 a.m., everybody congregates in the kitchen and we have breakfast, but over breakfast, we fire every day and we have uh, 
two or three videos that'll get posted. We have two or three pictures that'll get thrown up. Some of the stuff like will come down, you know, mandated through departments to go over some of that stuff. But most of it is just the junior guys, especially the brand new firefighter uh, on the crew telling them, hey, bring in two or three videos and two or three pictures of fires. We're coming into wildland season. So up on the screen and saying, okay, here's our, here's our, uh, our urban interface area. These are the homes we have to protect. How are we going to do it? Or what homes you protect? throwing up pictures of a tanker overturned on the highway and saying, okay, how do we handle this? We pull up to this right now and we're alone for 10 minutes. How do the four of us handle this situation as a single engine company? What are some of the things that we, that we have to do? But it starts with expectation, lay out expectations. I have four expectations I get from my, I got from my battalion chief and they were the same four expectations I got from that same battalion chief when he was my captain and I was his driver. He, he said, um, you know, the, the first thing is be safe. And by safe, he meant um, you're going to re- do some really dangerous stuff, but safely as you possibly can. And that translates to my crew. And we tell them that be as safe as you can doing what you're doing, understanding that you're going to be putting yourself in a precarious position. And really safe to me comes from efficiency and understanding. I had a really, really awesome conversation with Ben Schultz at the uh, Portland Firemanship Conference in, in February. And he talked about I don't know the guy's name that did the, the free solo thing. Al the, Tunnel. Yeah, okay, right? Watching him that high, I don't, I don't dig that at all. I just, there's, there's certain times when you see stuff and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm comfortable with this, I'm comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with watching a dude 2,000 feet up on the rock, <laughs> rock by himself. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that, that Schultz talked about, he says in this, this video, he talks about danger. And people are like, aren't you afraid? Like, this is so dangerous. And He's like, yeah, I've managed it to a point where it's just, it's really not dangerous. It's risk management. Just managed the risk of, of climbing 3,000 feet or whatever it is up the side of a, of a cliff or up the side of a mountain. When I think about that, that translates to the fire service very, very well. We take risks every single day uh, somewhere in the country, right? And somewhere in a firehouse, you're going to be taking a risk. And throughout your career, you're going to take a number of risks for civilians, but they're calculated and their managed risks that we're taking. And I'm not talking about a risk versus benefit analysis, that kind of stuff. What I'm talking about is we have the, all this emphasis on rapid intervention crews and rapid intervention companies. Well, let's train to keep people out of trouble first. Let's understand and know, know and understand how to flow and move hose lines into buildings. Let's know and understand how to search buildings quickly and efficiently. Let's know and understand from the outside of the building what the smoke is telling us, what the fire is telling us, where we can see it or if we can't see it. Things along those lines are managing the risk that we're taking before we start to engage in, in our job and the problem, putting the fire out, whatever it might be. And, and so when I look at safety, safety really has a lot more to do with efficiency than, than anything else. It's not, you know, make sure all of our PPE is on and safety really to me equates to efficiency and efficiency comes back to expectations for your crew and the expectations you get from your boss, right? The other expectations we set is know your job and do your job. And that comes down to, to training, know and understand what you're supposed to do on the fire ground. Sometimes I think we, we try and take a, a too big a bite out of every single task that we do just need to understand that if you're the first new engine company, well, you're the attack pumper. If you're the first new truck company, well, you're, you're probably the, the truck. You're going to be the inside truck and you're going to be searching. If you're the second company, then maybe you're assigned to the RIT crew, but understand what your function and role is on the, on the fire ground. Know your job, know how to do it well, know the situation that you're in your job in and understand how to do your job. Understand that the, your, your purpose and your function on the fire ground is one small piece that makes a success. 
Uh, and then honestly, the last uh, expectation is be nice, is be nice to people, right? Don't, uh, don't seems like an easy people. one. It seems like a very easy one, right? But be nice to people and, you know, take care of the people who, who need our help. I think it's pretty natural for the people at the bottom, like myself, to understand that your expectations are going to be coming from up top. So like, what can your crew expect from you? My crew can expect this from me. Here's what's mandated from us every single day. Um, we do a table talk, uh, fight fire, philosophically speaking. And where that came from, from me, was working my when I was a driver at Station 8, working at that firehouse. And we used to do this regularly and routinely with uh, newer firefighters who were coming through. And just talking through the philosophy of fighting a fire on the fire ground. What happened to me one day is, is I kept watching this battalion chief would come in to the kitchen while we were doing this, and he would kind of watch. And for the first shifts we did this, he kind of watched for a second, and then he left. And then he's, I noticed that he would hang and linger a little bit longer until the point where he was contributing to it. We had a pretty significant fire. He was the, uh, the incident commander. And after that fire, he said, oh, yeah, Lynch, when you said this on the radio, I knew what you meant. So I just figured, he said, I've heard you say that a million times at the table. So I knew what you meant. So I just, even though you weren't real clear about what was happening, communication wasn't great. I knew what you were intending to do. So I just let you do it because I knew what the end result was going to be. And kind of like a light bulb went on and I went, oh, that's how you set your expectations, right? That's how you, you get philosophically on the same page. So my, what my crew can expect from me on a daily basis is I try and be as consistent as possible and say at 9 a.m. we fight a fire every day. Uh, we go over a couple different emergencies, kind of do the morning meeting stuff. The ladders come off the rig, off the truck every day. We practice throwing ladders as quick as possible. We practice forcing doors. The hose lines get stretched off of the engine company every single day. Besides that, my crew is so self-motivated and so self-starting that that's really, I usually don't come in with a game plan for them. I let them guide and sort of dictate what we do during the day uh, within reason these four or five things and let guys run with it. And that to me is probably the, really the expectations that my, my crew can get from me. You know, irons and ladders is now more or less a staple in the training community. And I'm just curious, like what made you start teaching? Why do you do it? <laughs> well, it didn't happen. We didn't seek out, set out to teach anybody, anything really. Honestly, we set out to really enlighten ourselves. It happened out of a fire where we had an incident. It was a fatal fire. Unfortunately, a, an elderly woman lost her life. And out of that, there were some issues on the fire ground, some things that happened really that didn't happen in a timely fashion, didn't happen quick enough. And it really caused uh, a lot of people to take a step back and to say, are we really good enough, specifically with forcible entry skills? Uh, so we really started to dive into forcible entry skills and what we, we really learned. And if anybody goes, you go to anybody's been to a irons and ladders forcible entry class, you'll, this is the story that Ryan Royal tells to uh, begin the class is this is how this happened. There was a fatal fire. There was a forcible entry, some forcible entry issues um, getting into the, uh, into the building. And out of that came this sort of thirst for knowledge and understanding about how to force doors, inward swinging doors, outward swinging doors, commercial doors, residential, metal doors, forcing drop bars, driving carriage bolts, sawing carriage bolts, the whole nine yards and this whole size up of doors and understanding how to force those doors. And, and so how that started was just us really wanting to shore up a weakness because what I thought was a strength of mine which was forcible entry, turned out to be a glaring weakness. And I had just never been tested beyond what I knew. 
uh, and, and I was okay. I'd forced a couple residential doors, but I never had met anything that was overwhelmingly difficult. And I realized right away, like, I don't really have a game plan for this. And so start to teach that in our recruit academy, our training academy, and we're able to teach it and into, uh, uh, you know, with some of the uh, other companies on the job. And then it sort of morphed into people outside of our department saying, we'd like you to come teach this stuff to us. And it just kind of grew legs a little bit and started to, um, to snowball and balled into, you know, ladders kind of came up the same way, really more of a, took some time to be reflective and honest with ourselves and say, I I think I know a lot about ladders and laddering the fire ground and laddering buildings, but do I? Because I thought I knew a lot about forcible entry and that to be maybe not true, right? So what other weaknesses do I have? And being, I think, uh, introspective and honest with ourselves to say, maybe I need to reflect on every one of my skills to make sure and all my knowledge to make sure that I am not just feeling competent and thinking I'm competent based on my experience, but knowing and understanding my competence and the limits to it and expanding those limits. Right. So that's really kind of how it, and it just morphed into, we get uh, a lot of, a lot of requests to come to do classes and it's morphed into a couple other, other opportunities and a couple other classes. But I think I enjoy when you ask, why do we have a thirst for it or why do we enjoy it so much? I think for me personally, I enjoy things that, uh, you know, respectfully, I had to learn the hard way because I was told around the kitchen table that, oh, yeah, just take the hinges on a door or you don't really need to throw ladders on the fire ground unless you really need them for a specific purpose or whatever it might be. There was a lot of things that were told to me around the kitchen table that turned out to be maybe not 100 percent accurate. And so. When you teach somebody a skill right away, uh, right out of the bat or early on in their career, well, that's their that's their standard. That's their skill level now. As long as they keep practicing it and kind of understanding it, that's their skill level now. Uh, and so you sort of start them off better than you were when you were there for their tenure on the job, if that makes sense. A lot of truck companies, like the ones that we work on, we are really busy, but a lot of those are either medical calls or fire calls that aren't necessarily high acuity and these truck companies will get a reputation of, Hey, you must be good because you're busy. But unless you're taking opportunities to practice on those minor calls, you're not going to be ready for the real ones. Absolutely. I did. My uh, battalion chief gave me a uh, chapter in a book the other day where he said, Hey, I just want you to read this chapter about, it's about, it's about just learning and teaching and, and expanding your, to understand how other people learn and teach. And it, I really wish I would have I had the piece of paper and the chapter in front of me right now and to pass that along. But um, the premise of it was the, the OK plateau. And when you get to this point to where you just you feel OK, you feel competent in your skills, um, but you're actually plateauing because you don't realize there's this uh, whole uh, wealth of, of knowledge and information above you that you haven't tapped into yet. So when I, I look I read that and I thought, man, how does that apply to me as a company officer? I'm constantly thinking about that because, you know, it's a, a humbling position to be uh, in in that seat to be able to make decisions. And you make a couple good decisions. And sometimes I think that that can lead to a, a false sense of efficiency. Maybe you made a good decision for that fire ground or maybe you made a good decision for this fire ground. But I think anyone at those busy companies, because they get more skills, because they get more reps, but it still doesn't mean that you don't have to continue to challenge yourself and to look beyond where you are right now, right? So how do you feel about the new generation? Because they get a bad rap sometimes. Uh, but, I mean, I think I could speak for both Craig and I. It's like 
they're actually pretty willing. I mean, uh, if you show some uh, initiative to teach them and some investment in them, I feel I feel pretty good in the feedback I've gotten over the years that, that they want to learn. They they want to carry the torch. But what's been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can remember like to give you an example of guys were talking about the new generation of firefighters that maybe doesn't have the same blue collar background. We're getting more people who are educated into the fire service and getting more people who have a different perspective on life or who were raised a different way. Uh, what you really have to do is look at that individual and say, well, how do you make this person successful? When I first became a, a promoted to lieutenant, there was a, a guy who was my age. We graduated high school. Same time, I think he was a year ahead of me, a year older than me. But he, he and I had a very easy relationship, a very good driver officer relationship because he was like me. He grew up understanding that, grew up in the same type of mentality, the same type of, of same values, and the same way, way we were taught as kids. So we understood each other very well. Well, then you get other people who, who come into the fire service now who, like you said, are of a different generation, who have a different set of values, who are raised differently, who are taught to think about things differently. I don't look at that as a negative. I look at it as a positive, right? I mean, there's some negative things about every generation. It's just like, you know, I mean, I always joke because like, it's always like the old man screaming about the, oh, this generation's going to ruin the country. Well, there have been old men screaming about that for hundreds of years, right? So I, I think it's kind of a cop-out excuse to sit there and be like, well, this new generation is is just not going to not going to do anything for the fire service or I can't believe the people were hiring. Well, guess what? You they're hiring them. So it's your job as the senior guy to get your ass on the uh, bay floor and start to drill and start to train with them and teach them what you know because they want to know stuff. But they will sit around a a a drill ground. They will sit and drill all day long and train all day long and and expand their knowledge all day long, but it's up to you to get off get out of the recliner, get out of the kitchen table and get down there and start to go to work with them and show them what you know. They want to know that. They want to do that. And it's good when you when you teach somebody to do something, regardless of whether they're a a 50-year-old guy who's got five years left or they're a 22-year-old kid who's got five minutes on an engine company, they want to know stuff. They want to feel good about doing their job. So generations aside, take the firefighter, take the person who's wanting to be better at their job good at their job and put them in a position to succeed. Find out what motivates them. Find out what drives them. Find out how they learn. That's one of the best things that I've, I've done is, is when we get probationary firefighters to the station, I'll, tell, I'll ask them, how do you learn? What's the best way for me to, because I can, you know, if you want me to scream and yell at you all day long, if that motivates you, great. If that's, if that's what works to get you from, from where you are now to get your skill set all the way up here, great. Um, if you want me to talk to you in a soothing, nice voice, well, if that's what works to get you better, then good. And I'm, I'm balancing I don't you, a little I don't know bit. If you can do that, <laughs> Craig. I'll, I'll yell at you. I will never not yell at you. Um, but but in, in all honesty, you know, find out how they how they function, how they learn, and you will break through to them. And it's amazing to watch someone who really doesn't have, maybe comes in and doesn't have a great set of skills, maybe isn't very confident. When you give them confidence on doing one thing, that confidence multiplies exponentially. And now they're not afraid to try anything. Now, all of a sudden, you take them from a guy who doesn't feel like he can force a door to now he's doing driving carriage bolts by himself and uh, taking multiple ladder packages and he understands what it feels like to be on a good roof versus a bad roof. He understands how to flow and move and to knee walk, understands what it means to be a good heel and to create surplus. And, and just the tangibles of being a good firefighter 
it doesn't matter what generation they come from. Find out what makes that person tick and what makes that that person confident and tap into that and use that as the engine to drive them where they need to be. The senior people who refuse to train with the new guys, it's because they don't want to fail in front of them. They don't want to look stupid. But if you can just get out of the chair and get out with them, you're going to create buy-in because now you guys are learning together. Yeah, absolutely. I always, um, whenever we go to anything, uh, this is my own personal, my own personal philosophy is if we're going to go do a skill, I always step up and do it first. And I want to step up and do it first because number one, if I do well, then great. It makes it easy. And I've, I've figured it out. And if I don't do well, which is probably if I'm learning a new skill, I'm probably not going to do well right off the bat. So if I don't, I screw up, then the instructor is going to do what? Make an example out of me, not in a bad way, but he's going to say, hey, wait a minute, stop right here. Do this. No, wait, do this. And then I'm going to learn and people get to watch me failing and me coming up short. And then they get to say, okay, don't do the stuff that he just did. Now, this is the way to do it. Or maybe it makes it clear for them on how to be successful and whatever the skill is. But you're right. It's getting that person out of the seat. It's a unique problem that we face because I think about I'll just use you and as a, you as an example, Craig, when you came on our job, you went through a fire academy that was probably similar in length to mine, but I didn't get near the skill level that you got. And so what's happening is some firefighters will, and this is a, a nationwide, not specific to any department, but, but to every department, you will have a guy who comes on the job and he's a 15 year veteran. He's sort of put it into cruise control after his academy and after his his probationary year and so he hasn't expanded on those skills but the problem is the skills that are being taught fire academy are getting better and better and better exponentially speaking and so 10 years 15 years go by and now this guy comes out of a fire academy and he comes with a much better set of skills than the firefighter that's sitting in that chair and hasn't really been uh, motivated or done anything over the balance of their career to make them more efficient and more effective and constantly challenge themselves. The one thing though, that this brand new firefighter will doesn't have and, and can't get until he uh, has years and experience on the job is that experience. And that's where we have, you have to find a way to kind of amalgamate the two and bring them together and, and put the experience with the skills and the skills with the experience and, and sort of try and blend those two together to make people better and to, I guess, raise that standard and raise that bar. It is a difficult thing to do, you know, to, to guys out of the seat. Sometimes I'm like, Hey guys, we got to take a slow down day. You've been, we've been doing so much. We just need to slow down just a little bit, but guys don't listen to it. We give them a day off and, you know, we gave them the day off the other day cause we had got acquired structures and we've been working and working on these buildings and running co- multiple companies across our job through these buildings. So we told them, Hey, today's just a day you got to get the day off and just, chill and relax and do whatever you want to do. I don't really care. And you know, what did they do? They, the whole crew, I looked around, I looked around at Josh, the uh, winner, the other Lieutenant. And I said, where is everybody? And he says, I think they're downstairs. I went downstairs. There was like a sweatshop set up and they're building a door prop. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, you guys don't understand what a day off means, man. I mean, it's kind of a, an art. You realize you've got to kind of fail in front of people sometimes to get more buy-in. I think, I mean, Sometimes it's, it, I mean, you don't, you don't fail at something you on purpose that, you know, but you got to be willing to put yourself out there and try something new. Uh, that's realistic. I mean, I can remember forcing doors a while back and doing one man forcible entry and did it from the right side, which is my strong side, right-handed. 
and in front of everybody else, like, well, sometimes you got to do it from the left side and, you know, swinging an axe when it's buried in your armpit left-handed. And I think I missed the halligan. I look good? Yeah, you yeah look so good. everything was fine. It's all, <laughs> nothing to see Totally crushed. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you just, who cares, right? Um, you just got to be willing to, to fail in front of people. And it, I think it actually goes a long way, more than more than others would think. You Never know, you stops. look at like some of these guys with a, the way that they work. And I had the, the my myself and uh, Jeremy Croto, who Craig will know, is a nozzleman and is uh, phenomenal at his craft. Uh, he and I teach a, a class to our training academies called Killing Complacency. And it's just about this, the mental mindset and, and understanding when you show up to work and, and how you set your career out and how what your attitude should be during your career. You know, and one of the people I talk about in that class is – you know, I show a picture of Peyton Manning in there, and, and we started teaching this when he was the Broncos quarterback, so really relevant. Um, but it still holds true to today. Today, you know, if you look at like his preparation, there was this awesome uh, documentary, rather, uh, that talked about his comeback and how he went the summer after he had his next surgery. They just didn't really know what was going to happen with him, and you know how I, we forget now how in question his career was after he was released by the Colts, and it had documentary of him going to Duke, which he's uh, really close to the head coach at Duke. And I, I forget the, the coach's name, but it's just this phenomenal documentary. It's, it just shows just how hard this guy is working. And I guess he's getting back to working from an injury. And I understand that. But if you, you looked at the, those guys that played with those last years uh, that he was a Bronco, or you talk to guys that played with them from the beginning when he was drafted by the Colts. And when he was in college at Tennessee, the amount of preparation and work that guy put in on a daily basis. I mean, he's driving to and from the practice facility watching game film, you know? So, I mean, who does that, right? But a guy who's trying to get better and a guy who's trying to be absolutely perfect, where to me, I just look at those. Those are intangibles that you, characteristics of an individual where you should strive, at. you should always strive to be to be that, that perfect person. So when you fail, you're still doing pretty well. It's the guy who reaches for mediocre to me that maybe, maybe needs a little different perspective. I, I totally agree. Um, I know you're a Bears, though, so, uh, right? Listen, listen. You are? Really? Well, um, we I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have a good example, um, you know, for anybody who's good on. It's because we've never apologies. had a quarterback that was worth anything. Yeah, if you never, <laughs> if you never know what you're, you're missing, you know, it just seems like normal. One thing that the Springs does better than really anyone else I've seen is have the most amount of engaged people. I've heard, you know, some stats of upward like 30% of the members there are engaged. What kind of advice do you have for those people who might be the only handful at their department to kind of keep grinding? Well, I mean, you control your own destiny, right? And very few people who won't want to get involved if you don't make a little bit of an effort uh, to try and get them involved. And people don't have to be, you don't have to strive to make people as passionate as you are. You can strive to try and do that. But, you know, you and I both know it's not not always going to happen. Uh, I always looked at it like, you know, people say the 30%. I always looked at it like, you know, you've got like, or 25% of your department's actively engaged. Um, they're passionate. They, they go to classes. They continually do things on a daily basis. They come to work train and get ready to be good at our job, to be crafts, uh, craftsmen at our job. And then you have this 25% who is just there and they're just, they exist. And honestly, I, I think it's that way in, in every profession, probably to a certain extent, 
you have this 50% in the middle. And all too often, I found people who are worried about taking that bottom 25%. The top 25% guys are always worried about trying to get that bottom 25% and pull them up. Right? When in reality, just leave them there. They're fine. Just leave them alone. You just have to know that if you got a 25%er on your crew that day, that you're doing more work. And you have to recognize that and understand that. Where I look at it is the 50% that are in the middle. They want to come with you. They just maybe don't know how, or they're hesitant or have some, some trepidations about going out and getting on the door prep. You know, people don't want to be wrong. They certainly don't want to be wrong in front of a bunch of people. It's embarrassing, right? Nobody likes that. But the benefit of that is that if you can reach down and grab that 50%, pull them up to you, move them in your direction, that sliding scale in your direction, then I think that you will make your organization and your department better. You know, one of the things I, I had a very young kid uh, on our job ask us, he's like, you know, I got assigned to this fire station and I, you know, right out of, uh, right off of probation. And, and I just don't really, it's a really slow firehouse. I don't really want to be here, uh, but I'm committed here for, you know, several years or whatever. And it's like, what can I do every day? I want to be good at, good at my job. And I said, well, stretch your hose lines every day. He's like, yeah, the guys don't really, you know, they don't really, I don't know if they really want to do that. I'm like, well, here's the easiest thing to do. Just stretch it by yourself and ask them to help reload it. Just do that every single day with every single line until that becomes the norm. And you just sort of integrate that into, well, I'm stretching hose lines today. Or, hey, uh, let's go out and flow water in this. You know, I don't care if you start flowing water in a parking lot. I'm not big on flowing and moving hose lines through a parking lot. I think it's point behind it. I'd rather be in my district doing stuff. But if it gets your guys out, like, let's pull the rig on the front ramp and let's, let's fire it up and let's flow some water into the creek or flow some water next door, whatever it might be to get guys out and moving and doing stuff, then that slowly becomes the norm. All too often, guys want to, from that 25, 30%, like you talk about, they want to take this huge bite and bring it on. All of a sudden, overnight, make this you know, magical fire department, this, this fire department of their dreams. When in reality, you know, you're going to be moving it once, one tiny piece at a time over towards and making that organization better and moving that standard higher. And sometimes, if you're in a position where you work for a certain so you work for a uh, department that has a culture that stifles creativity or stifles ingenuity like that. Well, you control your own destiny. And I can tell you right now that lots of guys around the nation are doing really good things in firehouse number five or firehouse 22 or firehouse 65, whatever it might be. And that stuff will spread to other people in your job. It'll spread to other fire stations. And it's really kind of how you eat an elephant. It's one bite, one bite at a time until it's just the norm. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the fire service nowadays is you're not alone. You can connect through social media, you connect through local and regional conferences. And so if, if you feel like an outcast, of your own department, uh, there's, there's plenty of uh, opportunities to get engaged and, and find a community now. It, it's always that thing to for me, I always look at like, I think about, uh, you know, my family lives in the, in the city that my fire department responds to, right? So I'm the people who work at the fire station that responds to their houses to be really, really, really good, right? And so what's the easiest way to do that? Go over and pound on the door and say, you better be really good. You might respond to my house or to start to spread this stuff throughout the job. And you're right. You can get motivation from everywhere. There may be one guy sitting in a firehouse. And I can tell you this right now, I'd go back to my, my days is that when I started in the fire service and uh, I started the Stratmore Hills fire department as a volunteer firefighter, it's a single fire station, just South of Colorado Springs. When I became a paid firefighter there, there was one guy, we were one guy on duty at night. So you're by yourself. 
And I didn't really have a lot to do. I didn't really know a lot of stuff. So I started looking on online and I found this fire engineering website and had all these archived training articles. And this is, you know, probably 1997, 98, 99, 2000 in that area there. And I found this guy named Andy Fredericks and he was writing all these articles about fire attack. Right. And it was just kind of cool to me that here I am by myself in this firehouse. Uh, I look back on this 20 years later, you know, and here's this guy who has really changed the fire service in a positive way. And, you know, I was reading about reading his stuff way back when. So you never know really, you know, you're never really totally alone in your quest to be better. There's always people out there. And I think about that. How many people are just out there in a firehouse reading articles or looking at stuff online, trying to make themselves better at their job? Like you said, social media has has been great to bring us all together the same mentality. Unfortunately, there's the other aspect of social media where, you know, some really dumb stuff comes out. <laughs> you see some stuff and you're like, man, this is, um... so it's unfortunately for me, the social media aspect is sort of a double-edged sword, but I think that it's, it's more good than, than it is bad.